Here we are locked on NFL alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock on the Wednesday show. We will be dipping into that Twitter mailbag today and a couple bits of quarterback news to get into at the top of the show as well. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. You can find it on all of your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. Matt is a must follow at Williamson NFL. How you doing here? Midweek hump dates. It's crazy. The NFL week happens so fast because it's almost time for another game. Yeah, you're right. I'm doing great. And uh, going back to my ESPN days, it, you know, it seems like a while ago. That was probably five years ago. But I was there for 10 years as an NFL analyst. And back then, Twitter was just kind of getting started. And we used to have, you know, chats. Come chat with Matt Williamson. You'd, you'd click on the link and you'd be in the chat room. And every Wednesday at noon, I had my chat. And that was like, you talk about the hump of the week. It was like, okay, going up into the chat, it is review everything you can that happened in all the games. And then the chat, nobody you know, is like talking a little bit about that, a little bit about going forward. And then, boom, the chat room's done at 1 o'clock. Let's talk about everything about to happen. So, I mean, midweek to me was always defined by that chat. And it was a lot of fun and um, this it's, that's about when we're recording today. That's why I bring that up. Yeah, sort of turning the page and getting ready for the new week and yeah, wrapping your head around everything that's going on around the league. Uh, a couple bits of news here. Let's start with Cam Newton. He is officially out this week, and it looks like it's a Liz Frank type of injury, which uh, those things can be a while. So uh, that's not surprising he's out this week, and it might not be surprising if he's out for a while. Yeah, and this sounds harsh, but... Might you shut him down for the year? I mean, might he be done, done, done in Carolina? I mean, I, I don't think that's the case, but Allen played really well. And I worry because there's so many, we've talked about this yesterday. There's six, seven, eight, nine teams in the league that are just so bad. And Arizona's defense is at the top of that list that if you, you know, like for Baltimore, for example, they destroyed Miami, they destroyed Arizona. Well, we knew they were a good team, but maybe they're not quite as good as they were, we thought, after week two. So the Panthers destroyed the Cardinals' defense with Allen under center, but he played really well just in a vacuum, too. I mean, sometimes you just have to isolate the quarterback play. They protected him well, a lot of max protect. He went to Olsen a lot. Um, obviously everything went through McCaffrey, but they kept him in protection a fair amount in the passing game. So I think Samuel and DJ Moore are really good players. And Olsen is just kind of like his safety valve. I mean, a, an old, a young quarterback's best friend. And uh, I think you just kind of roll with Allen until he stumbles. And I'm sure he will. He doesn't get to play Arizona every week, but this offense for what 10 games in a row or so going back to last year, when Cam got banged up, has been really poor, and this has been their best outing of the of the whole you know that whole stretch. Yeah, and this isn't Cam's only injury he's suffered, so he, you know, he could benefit from sitting for a while and getting real healthy, like for real, one hundred percent healthy. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. See what you have in Kyle Allen, um, unless you in. I think every team around the league, even the teams that you and I have at the bottom of our power rankings, and and think that they're going to be drafting in the top five they still think they're good and they still think they're going to win and guys are coaching for their jobs so it's really hard for teams to do the right thing a lot of times or do the smart thing long term when they might not be the guy that benefits from it if you're the head coach so um that's a tough choice i think in carolina with cam and right now i think his injury is going to keep him out so that's going to 
be an easy choice in the short term, and we'll see as the season goes along. And who knows, Kyle Allen, you know, he had a nice little uh, start there, but he might fall flat on his face too in a couple weeks, and then you're like, okay, yeah, that's right. Let's get Cam Newton back in here. He's looking pretty healthy and try to win some football games. But it is interesting to monitor there in the Cam Newton situation. And at some point, I mean, is Cam just going to be a Panther for life, or is he, you know, you got to wonder how they feel about him long term. Yeah, and they also drafted Will Greer, who I liked a lot. I thought he was more of a second-round type prospect. They got him in the third. I don't know that he'll factor in this year, but at least he's in the the big picture. Um, What's interesting at Cam, and a lot of these guys have to do that, where they hit the career crossroads. It happened to Andrew Luck, where we can't just rely on Braun anymore. we got to get the ball out of your hands. And last year with Norv Turner as the offensive coordinator, they did a great job of scheming things up. And um, I thought Newton played really, really well before about midseason when he was really pampered and injured. And what I mean by that is if you remember, they used to ha- they used to build around Cam with these gigantic, funchious, you know, Kelvin Benjamin type receivers yeah. that couldn't run all that well. But the logic was, hey, we're going to run the ball a ton. They're pretty good blockers. He's not very accurate, so let's give him a bigger catching radius, you know, to throw into. But then they didn't make any plays, you know, like the, the, you push him out of bounds. or you know. Where now Samuel Moore, McCaffrey, I mean, they got a lot of these type of dudes where instead of having a bigger catching radius, let's make easier throws, and these guys can make things happen after the catch. And so that worked really well with Norv Turner. And I didn't think, you know, Norv was a – Philip Rivers, Troy Aikman, seven-step drop, bombs away type of guy. And he was an old dog that learned new tricks as an offensive coordinator. It worked really well. So in a way, they were kind of asking Cam not to be Cam before. And it, Cam is so good and so talented. I want to see the good Cam. I don't want to see the banged-up, injured Cam. And I agree with you. And I didn't. I hated that strategy. With I just didn't like the prospects they brought in either. It's like, okay, good. These receivers are tall, and that's it. Like Benjamin, I thought was way overrated when he came out of the draft. Um, I thought Funchess was maybe an undraftable player. I, I'd never believed in him either. <laughs> yeah. So I was down on both those guys. So to me, I was looking at this like, what are you doing giving him, you know, bad weapons? Basically, they're tall and that's it. Uh, there's it's more athletic bad, tight ends around the league. And then uh, so I, I love the athletes they brought in there, a little bit more dynamic offense for Cam in Carolina. And I, and I want to see him healthy because he's a lot more fun to watch. Absolutely. And I do tend to think that Cam as the Mike Allstott is probably a thing of the past. Yeah. Which is not, that's not a long-term solution ever anyway. Right, right. I mean, that's a hard formula to keep up. Right. But then it also brings the question, if you're not going to have that aspect of him, is he still a great asset as a quarterback and worth franchise quarterback money? You know what I mean? Like, he's a better passer than given credit for, but if you're not going to use him a lot as a battering ram, is he really worth it? That's a good question, and he has to. That that's on him a little bit too. To and every yeah. great quarterback we've seen, like you mentioned, has that crossroads in their career, and they've developed that ability to be just. Oh my gosh, this guy is so in control of this offense, and he's going to have to be that player like every other great quarterback has become in their thirties. Right, right. I mean, guys like Brady and Manning didn't have to adjust all that much, but. Ben did, and I mean, many, many of these dudes have where they can't just rely on Braun and being, you know, more gifted than those around them. 
even Brett Favre, he didn't quite have that arm yeah, anymore, right. and he couldn't play the same way, and Steve Young. And so there's a lot of guys that have been able to do that. So, uh, yeah, that'll be interesting and, and fun to follow there. Um, Albert, and then there's the RG3s that can't. Right, you yeah, and there's some guys yeah, right. that, yeah, that can't even get they, – they could get by in college, and when they get to the NFL, they're like, oh, I'm just not the best athlete out here anymore. It's going to be a little bit more difficult. I mean, quarterback is still always played from the neck up, and I, yeah. I fully believe that. And even someone like Lamar Jackson, who's so fun to watch right now, the most exciting part of this is his ability to throw. Like, obviously, his athleticism is awesome, and his arm strength is awesome, but the more dialed in he gets, and when you see those accurate dime throws, that's the thing that's going to carry him. And I'm like, okay, yes, that's the thing you want to see, because long-term, that's what's really going to make him be one of the great ones. And that's what's encouraging about Lamar and Josh Allen, you know, in their second year. They're taking major strides, noticeable, obvious strides as passers. Yes, and Josh Allen's a big one because I was not as much a believer in Allen as Lamar Jackson because even though Jackson wasn't really refined coming out of college, I saw better throws and more accuracy more often, and and Josh Allen was just all over the place. But you see the talent. He's so big and strong and fast and can throw the heck out of the ball, and his accuracy has improved, which is a really great sign for Buffalo. Absolutely, and you and I weren't doing the show at the time, but I thought Lamar was a much better passer coming out of Louisville than Allen was coming out of school. All right, let's uh, step aside quickly here. I do have one note on a rookie quarterback that I want to get to, then we'll dive into that mailbag. This podcast is brought to you in part by Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code KICKOFF at checkout and receive a discount of up to $100. One of the things that happens working with audio this much and spending a lot of time with podcasts and a crazy busy lifestyle is finding time to read. There's this incredible app that solves this problem. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using that information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or on your lunch break or while you exercise. Eight million people are using Blinkist right now. You get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience Go to Blinkist.com slash locked on. That's one word, locked on. Try it free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash locked on to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash locked on. This just came down, a tweet from Albert Breer, and he said that Jay Gruden's stance on Dwayne Haskins certainly sounded different during a conference call with the Giants media. Gruden said Haskins is, quote, not far away and, quote, he'll get his chance. So maybe we will see Dwayne Haskins sooner than later. And I was a little bit surprised watching that Monday Night Football game that he didn't get inserted when they were down four scores. But I understand not putting him up against that Chicago defense. And I sort of looked ahead at the schedule there for Washington and I saw a Miami team that might be a perfect place to plug him in. Wow, yeah, that's <laughs> we talked about that to open the show. Dolphins, Cardinals, sure, that's a great time to you know take the training wheels off. 
Um, I actually just wrote an article about Allen and Haskins. Check it out. It'll be on my timeline tomorrow. Uh, t- probably today, actually. And I think the time is now. I'm with you. I thought it could have happened during that slow-moving Monday nighter, but Khalil Mack and, you know, like that's not the defense to do it with. And it's funny. I think you and I had this conversation that Haskins isn't very experienced, you know, and we talked about this with Trubisky coming out of school. So we can't put him in there. Well, he needs experience, so you got to put him in there. You know, it's somewhat of a catch-22 is how do you gain experience if you're not – but if you're not ready, then it's not helpful. All that being said – Keenum is what he is. He's a backup. He's made a few plays in Washington, but lately he's checking the ball down like crazy. He still turns the ball over too much for being a, quote, game manager, conservative type guy. I mean, he doesn't value the football as much as you'd want, and the big play to bad play ratio is really horrible. Um, And Washington's not going anywhere. I mean, Haskins has a world of ability. I'm a big fan. Terry McLaurin, his old teammate, is really, really good. I mean, I liked him coming out of school. I love him now. I want to see that combination for years and years in Washington. Absolutely. And there's, <laughs> I don't know if you want to get into this with the mailbag. Um, we've got some interesting questions here, but it is Josh Allen related since we're talking young quarterbacks. Joshua wants to know, is Josh Allen the best looking of last year's rookie quarterbacks? <laughs> You mean like looking, looking? Like <laughs> That's what he said. That's the question for Joshua. That's what our listeners want to know, Matt. Um, I'll be very honest. I don't know what a good-looking man is. <laughs> I just don't. I mean, I don't. I mean, I know who's like well-built, and I know what an ugly man looks like, and I think I'm probably in that category. Um, but, <laughs> it's easier I mean, to scout ugly. It doesn't Baker and. Darnold, Darnold's so young looking, and Allen, aren't they all pretty studly? I don't know. There has been, in the past, I don't know if you've ever run into any old scouts that had this idea that you can you can tell a quarterback's face by the way their face is structured. Like, this guy yeah, looks right. like a quarterback, this guy doesn't. I've heard people talking about that, and that there's a certain structure that you're going to look for with the face, and you can tell if that guy's going to be a great quarterback or not, and... I don't buy into that, obviously, at all, but I thought that was an interesting question, and I don't even know where Joshua, <laughs> why he comes out with that, but... Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm open for ideas. Tell me. I'm all ears. Yeah, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Who's the most handsome quarterback <laughs> in the 2018 class? Who primarily, this is from Freeman on Twitter, who primarily develops the defensive game plan? Who calls plays? I recall James Harrison making remarks about whose defense is this really? He's speaking of the Steelers, it sounds like, in this one. Um, if you talk about the steel, I mean, in general, uh, it just depends on every team. Like, I'm actually not sure. I know Tomlin's more involved in defense than he is offense in terms of game planning throughout the week and whatnot. But generally speaking, I don't think people realize how busy a head coach's job is, even if he's not grinding tape and game planning. And in some buildings, I think that they're CEO-ish, and then, you know, the defensive staff emerges and kind of presents their ideas for the week, and he approves it or tweaks it or whatnot. I'm not exactly sure how the Steelers operate that way, but I do know he's much more involved in defense than offense. Um, You know, a Belichick obviously is going to be highly involved in the defensive play calling and scheming. And, you know, also on game day, the head coach hears every play go in offense or defense or 
says, hey, we got to start running it more. Or, you know what I mean? Even if they're not the play caller, they may hear a play go through the headset and be like, no, 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 do something else. So I'm not avoiding your question. It's just, it's very different in every building. You know, like when I was at Pitt, our head coach was Walt Harris. And he was also our quarterback coach, which was rare at that time. Head coach was also the quarterback meeting. And he was the offensive coordinator for the Jets in Ohio State. And that was his background. But he called all the plays, you know, so... Um, it, it's different in every building. And it is interesting. You mentioned the workload for a head coach. And so a team hires, say, an offensive-minded guy who used to be a coordinator to be head coach. He has so much responsibility now, it's almost impossible to be the same detail coordinator or you're just killing yourself all day, every day, because you have so many responsibilities on top of coordinating the offense. And I thought it was interesting, and I still think it's interesting, that the 49ers, when they hired Kyle Shanahan, he's the head coach and he's the offensive coordinator. And they didn't even bring in a a guy with the title offensive coordinator, even though everybody knew he's going to call the plays. And you hire someone like Shanahan because you want him to call the plays. And he doesn't really have anybody to help him out. He doesn't even have anybody with the Mm -hmm. title offensive coordinator. And I thought that was interesting. I was like, man, is this too much for a young guy to take on all of this? And we're starting to see it pay off right now. And, And things seem to be going pretty well in San Francisco. And then you see a team like Tampa Bay, they hire Bruce Arians, and that's like, okay, offensive coach, he's such a great coach and play caller, but he's not calling the plays. And so you always wonder if you, and I think it takes a special guy to be a head coach, and that's why you see so many really good coordinators fail as head coach because it's just such a difficult job and it's hard to do both of those things, and sometimes it's impossible and some people aren't built for it, and sometimes you just want the guy's scheme. You don't want him running the whole show. And so uh, someone like Vic Fangio, I, I think about in Denver, he's such a, a longtime coordinator, and I think he deserves his shot to be head coach. And I think it's easier, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, I don't know how you feel about this, I think it's easier for a defensive-minded head coach or coordinator to be a head coach than offense because I just think it's t- more time consuming for putting together an offensive game plan than it is for a defensive yeah. minded head coach to to run a defense and call plays. Yeah, I agree with all that. You had some good examples. I mean, I think McVeigh absolutely comes to mind too. As you know, you're hiring Shanahan, McVeigh, whomever, really to do two jobs. You're going to be the head guy. You're going to deal with the press. You're going to handle all the headaches of CEO ish and you're in charge of the offense and game planning and play calling. It's massive. But I brought up McVay because he was so smart and the Rams were so smart that let's hire or keep, you know, one of the, you know, one of the best defensive coordinators in history. So I don't have to worry at all about defense. You know I mean? Wade's got the defense and you don't even have to run anything by me anymore. Just do what you do. That's yours. Uh, I take that huge piece off my head coaching plate. And I also wanted to bring up, um, Andy Reid. I mean, Andy Reid's kind of the poster boy for this, or Sean Payton that have done it years and years and years and have been highly successful. But I also think, what's the number one criticism of Andy Reid in his career? Game management, clock management. I think because he's thinking right. about the next play to call. You know, he, he's got the huge menu in front of him, you know, from Cheesecake Factory or whatever. He's worried about what to do on third and eight, you know. So um, sometimes it can be too much. Let's do one more fun question here. We'll get a little bit more serious in the last segment. Randy says, at Williamson NFL, longtime listener and 
practice squad member. You're going to have to tell me about the practice squad, unless he's saying he was on an NFL practice squad. Uh, but no, you... no, no. That's what we used to call the uh, – on my Football Today podcast, all of our listeners were our practice squad. I mean, okay. And sometimes when they'd get under my skin, I'd refer to them as my, as my tackling dummies too. So <laughs> I like that. He says, uh, you got to get B.D. Peacock to analyze and pick in the horse-sized duck versus 100 duck-sized horses matchup. Oh, do you do you that's, know anything about this? That's an interesting matchup. Well, 49ers Twitter had this same question going around for a while <laughs> a couple years ago, and it was, would you rather fight one Trent Brown-sized Trent Taylor or 100 Trent Taylor-sized Trent Browns? And if people aren't familiar uh, with those two players, yeah, Trent Taylor is a, a feisty five foot seven slot receiver that's a tough guy, quick. And Trent Brown's a big lumbering offensive tackle who goes about 6'8", 350 pounds. So um, that that's a tough one. I think numbers would get you on both of those eventually. So I would take my chances with... Uh, I I'll think fight it's, the big thing. You're, you're going to take the one? I'm going to take the one, except when you're talking ducks versus horses, there's certainly a wild card here. And that duck doesn't always have to be on the ground. I mean, he may not fly like an eagle, but he can flutter around and peck the heck out of you, you know? So my thoughts on the duck, though, is I bet I could get in there and break those legs. You know, those little skinny legs would be where I'm attacking. But in the meantime, he's going to peck the heck out of me and flutter above where those horses are just going to chew my Achilles tendons off. That's true. The power of a horse is his ability to kick you. So if a duck-sized horse is only going to be able to kick you in the ankles, but horse a duck-sized horse would still be very strong. So a hundred of those, if you if you if they got I you mean, on I'd the be ground, them left and right, but the right. one of them would get a hold of my Achilles and rip it out. Eventually, or, you know? you'd be on the ground. If they got you on the ground and were kicking you in the dome, you'd still be in trouble. I think there, but uh, and right. I think they'd shatter my shins with a kick, and then I'm on the ground, and then forget about it. I take my chances with a horse-sized duck before a Trent Brown-sized Trent Taylor. I think. Let's move on. Back with more mailbag after this. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? Put that knowledge to use. If you're listening to this show, you're obviously a well-informed football fan. Whether you're betting on the 49ers, betting on some of the other games around the league, make yourself a little cash with my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now, and my bookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code locked on to activate the offer. That's promo code locked on. Visit mybookie.ag. Today, you play, you win, you get paid. Matt, I need your uh, input on this one, and I didn't go back to check, but Lee says that we said the NFC North would rank fourth in the power rankings. He's he's taken exception to this. I can't remember if we put it that way, but he says hmm, there's three top ten that. defenses, Hall of Fame quarterback, Minnesota has is dominant in the run game, best collective home field advantage, the best worst team of all the divisions in Detroit, possibly no out of division losses in three weeks. Uh, this is a hashtag practice squad member as well. I don't remember saying that the NFC North would be the fourth in our power rankings of divisions. And if so, we did it a while ago and it wasn't during the regular season yet. So 
Um, they he said would we said it yesterday. What's that? He said we said this yesterday. I, I think he might need to go back and listen to that. Maybe we did. I don't remember or maybe saying we that. misspoke because I didn't mean that if I said that. I mean, I, I think I meant that their fourth place team is the best in the league. I don't know. I don't know how I said it. I'd have to go back and listen to it too. But what divisions would you put ahead of them? I mean, immediately the NFC South comes to mind, but I'll take the Lions over the Bucks and those top three in the North, I think, are better than the top three in the South right this minute. Uh, rec- um, Record-wise, you're, you're, NFC West is doing well, uh, but I think they're a little bit more up and coming with the 49ers. We'll see how real that division mm-hmm. is. I think a better track record right now for those teams in the NFC North. Yeah, I, I was going to bring that up too, but boy, the Cardinals are clearly eighth in North versus West NFC. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, where the other ones you can kind of argue and move around. I would say the Rams are also probably one, so that's close. Um, in the AFC, I don't think there's any that are close. Right. So, yeah, I think we both agree. Yeah. NFC North, Lee, we're with you, man. NFC North, best division of football, I think. I think so. Yeah. Go Pats, a frequent tweeter to the show. He says, is it Mm -hmm. fair to compare guys across different eras in light of the Aikman-Mahomes comparison yesterday? Moreover, can a player ever truly be the GOAT, the greatest of all time, because you're comparing eras? Inaccurate to compare Peyton versus Staubach and such? It is. Um, and I think this goes for all of sports. And the way that I think the only way the only way you can really do it to me is, okay, Wayne Gretzky has the most goals ever, and no one's ever going to catch him. I mean, like his stats are insane as a point producer in hockey. But what was the average of the era? You know what I mean? Like, there was a lot more goals scored. If you go watch 80s hockey highlights, the goalies take up, like, none of the net. There's no pads on them hardly. (laughs) There's all this space to shoot at. So is Gretzky X amount better than the average all-star? You know, is that a bigger gap than LeBron versus, you know, the people of this year or Jordan of his era? And... The one example I like to use in this front, and, and I don't know the other sports one-tenth as much as I know, you know, uh, football, but remember, like, early 1900s baseball. Like, somebody would lead the league in home runs with nine right. or 11. Line. Right. And then Babe Ruth shows up and hits 60. You know, like, that's, like, the best player ever. You know what I mean? Like, just killing the competition of the time. You know, like, Jim Brown, to me, is that guy where he was just, he was the size. Jim Brown was like 240 pounds and his linemen were like 250 pounds. And he was the best athlete on the field and the fastest dude. So he would be like, um, Zach Martin running a four, two today. <laughs> you know what I mean? And elusive as could be and burst and could catch the ball, you know, like, so I, that's kind of the way I look at it is who's how much better are you than the people of your era? Right. I think that's the only way to do it. And a lot of times people's ideas of who was great are skewed to when they were 11 years old. Who's the greatest yeah, when you're right, 11 right. years old? And that's the guy. And I didn't see Starbucks, so I can't compare that at all. And I just know he was good for his time and great for his time. But you mentioned it, Babe Ruth hitting more home runs than other com- or other teams in his era. I mean, that's how you compare it is how were they versus their era. And so I think you can have some opinions about the greatest of all time, but it gets difficult. And I think that's why it's such a fun conversation that people love to have because there's never a right answer because you can't be right. 
Right. And I'll bring it back to the Steelers. And, you know, I'm often asked about these guys, but like Jack Ham wouldn't even get drafted today. You know, like he wouldn't yep. make the Steelers roster right now. And he's one of the best linebackers ever. But if he walked past you at the mall, you'd be like, that's just some dude. You know, like <laughs> he's not, you know, there's there's tons of those examples. Like when we're up at training camp, every day an old Steeler comes by and sits by, sits down with us for a segment. And like Rocky Blyer sits down with us or Randy Grossman. I know people don't know those names like the Pittsburghers do. That were really, really good players that – don't look like athletes at all. You know, I mean, like they would never make the Steelers coming out of school now. Right. And just the size and speed. And, you know, when you show up and you're undersized and running a four nine, you're not going to get drafted. And that's not to say Jack Ham wouldn't sure. be a great player. If he got plugged in there, he could, um, he could hit some people, Maybe still, you know, but, uh, he, it just, you wouldn't think much of it. And maybe, and that's the other thing is the weight training and all the stuff. Maybe he would just be that much bigger and better because he would put in the time and he would be right. big and fast and a monster because he would have all of that. And he wouldn't have to, you know, do whatever job he probably did in the off season. He would be working Sell insurance out. insurance in the off season or right. something. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Exactly. So a lot changes. And I think about football wise scheme has changed so much and it's so wide open with statistics and throwing statistics and receivers and, uh, you think about how I remember in the 90s, the Dallas Cowboys had the first ever offensive line that everybody was over 300 pounds. And now if anybody's under 300 pounds, you're like, whoa, this guy's way undersized. Yeah, we were watching 85 bear highlights. My son and I just the other day, there was a blurb on. And he's like, why does everyone care so much about this fridge, dude? I mean, he's like 305 pounds. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like yeah, he he might be undersized nose tackle nowadays. And I think about teams back in even the 80s like Bill Walsh's West Coast offense when it was just beautifully orchestrated and running at its peak level he still wasn't throwing three wide and had someone like Keenan uh, Allen or Tyreek Hill in the slot you know that so even Kamara def- out of the backfield right so yeah. trying I mean he did have the like first ever players but, he yeah. did have the first ever 1,000 yard rusher and mm-hmm. receiver in Roger Craig, but Roger Craig was a fullback in college. So that's, <laughs> right, you know, he right. wasn't a, a, an elite athlete, although Roger Craig's one of my, the funnest ever to watch when, you know, those, when we talk about the hall of fame debate, he's the guy for me that needs to, to get in. And I don't think he ever will because his total statistics aren't there. But when I think of a hall of famer or someone who, and this kind of goes along with the same conversation, the guys I think are Hall of Famers are the ones where you could see them wearing any uniform with no number on, and you see a running back running with that ferocity and power with the high knees, and be like, oh, that's Roger Craig. I don't care what mm-hmm. uniform he's wearing. He'd just be plain white and completely blank. I know that's Roger Craig. I know that is Barry Sanders. I know that is Peyton Jim Manning. Brown. I know yeah, that's right. Jerry Rice, Randy Moss, whatever. So that's that's what I love about football. When you can see a guy, you know who you're watching, even if they didn't have a number on their back. Yeah, and Craig, to me, is a good one because he was ahead of his time. He was great at what he did that others hadn't seen before. You're probably better, closer to it than me, but, I mean, I think him and probably others on that team were more of a product of Walsh than the other way around, but the, it's all a symbiotic relationship, just like Brady and Belichick. And then kind of the last note on this, too, is the quarterbacks are almost incomparable. You know, like... I often say if Dan Marino played today, he would own every all-time passing record by a jillion. You know, I mean, he ran up with two receivers. Duper and Clayton were fine. But, you know, those guys got killed in the pocket, too. Shots to the head weren't illegal. Shots to the knees were fine. You know, like, there, there was no – it was a wild, wild west back in the 70s and 80s. 
and there's to that point there's so many players now that have careers that probably wouldn't have back then because they wouldn't have been able to physically be around long enough to have a career and so some of the guys that were able to make it and able to play not only were they physically uh, able to handle the pounding of what they took and they took a lot more shots and a lot more uh, you know Oklahoma drill in training camp you know double days and also the toughness to play through whatever they were dealing with absolutely and what if Fouts and Marino would have been protected like Brady and Manning would they have played till their 40s you know Wow. Yep, you know, absolutely. Great point. All right. Uh, that was a good question. We kind of ran out of time with that one. Uh, Matt, always good stuff. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You too, and dude. This was fun. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got our weekly Thursday guest, Mike Sando, right here, Locked On NFL.